Amen. Well, we are in the book of Acts, so grab a Bible. Make your way tonight. Uh, We find ourselves continuing our journey. We are in the book of Acts. We're in chapter 9 tonight. Uh, We're not going to probably finish the chapter, but we'll make a good way through it. Uh, Longing to see those things are there. Our hope is that you got a Bible, and you're turning even now to that space. If you don't have one, there are Bibles in front of you in the chairs. Uh, You can use an electronic device, but we just want to invite you to be in the Word of God. There's power in that. There really, really is. And so we're just inviting you to be there in that. If you're joining us online or in the overflow, same, just invitation. Hey, let's be in the Word of God together. Grab that. Join us in a space that God would take His Word and just connect it into our lives in a very effective and real way. I long for that. Uh, recognizing its need in my life. And so let's just ask God for that. And I hope you're longing for the same, that you would just believe and just long that God would speak to you in a way that would take his word and connect the dots into the space that he has in your life. So let's submit to that right now. Let's ask him to do that. I'll lead in prayer. I hope you will as well. Just asking that God would take his word and make that connection to what we're needing him to show us tonight. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that's good. Thank you for the favor that's in there. We, we, we recognize that and even approach tonight with both humbleness of heart, but also just recognizing the power and authority of your word. Lord, but also just knowing that right now you know us. We're known to you. You understand where we are. You understand what's taking place. And Lord, I ask that you take your word and open our understanding to it, but then do that very amazing, favorable thing you do. Just connect one of the dots tonight into the space that we are, into a place that would show us you, show us who you are, and bring us into that transformation where you would be changing us from the inside out. God, believing you in favor, believing you to be that good God that you are, I ask for it. I ask for what you have in store for us right now, and together we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One of the most amazing miracles that you would ever know, that you would ever see, that you would ever understand is that space where God rescues, uh, where he saves, where he takes somebody's life and, and brings them out of darkness and into light. That reality is, well, again, I want you to think it through with me tonight. There's just nothing bigger than that. I mean, there's nothing bigger that you will ever know. I mean, uh, a healing from sickness, a healing from cancer, that'd be amazing. Uh, watching God provide materially in somebody's life, that's incredible. But those pale next to the idea and the space where someone becomes born again, where they're changed from darkness to light, where destiny changes from, from hell to heaven. It is one of the most glorious realities that can ever be just witnessed in the midst of it. And tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to think about it in, in one sense in the most amazing or maybe the most well-known, if I could say it that way, conversion story probably in the history of the church. And it's the conversion of Paul the Apostle. It's Saul, whose name is at this point later going to be called Paul, and his salvation story. Now, it's, it's amazingly famous 
famous because it's here in the book of Acts, and then he repeats it two more times. So if you've read through the book of Acts, you, you will know, hey, this story, not only do you get to see it happen, but then two other times Paul is going to share his testimony in the book of Acts, which by its own merit, its own space, gives us that picture of, of the power of knowing our story, the power of knowing just what that looks like. And so I just want to draw your attention to it tonight. I want to draw your attention to uh, the, the account, draw your attention to the story in ways, and some of it's going to be uh, way outside of, of what your story is. Some of it will be there because in a reality, none of our stories are the same. I mean, it's one of the beautiful parts of salvation. There is no, like, one-size-fits-all. God is at work. If you read through the book of Acts, every one of the accounts of salvation happens differently. It is true in our life. And so some of what happened in Paul's life, it's going to sound far from yours. But then, in some way, some of the big principles are just solidly real in all of our lives. So I don't know how this is going to land this evening. It's always that way. I mean, if I find myself honestly wondering, I wonder what God's going to take from his word and connect into your life. Maybe, maybe it'll just be a reminder of what he's done in your life. Maybe it'll be a refreshing and renewing so you go, I, you know, sometimes I forget how good that was. Maybe it'll be a drawing. Maybe someone here tonight or joining us online, this is not yet your story. And, and in the midst of this, God is going to do a work of drawing you to Christ. We would long for that and pray for that. Maybe in the midst of it, he's going to take part of that story and just connect it to where you are. I don't know where it's going to land, but in watching Paul's story, his salvation story, I believe that God has something for you in it. And so with that in mind, let's take a look at it and remind ourselves of this incredible conversion and things that God does. It really does begin uh, there at the beginning of the chapter, shining this light on Paul and his rebellion uh, and his, even his animosity in being an enemy of Christ. It tells it to us this way in verse 1, Then Saul, quick pause, I keep calling him Paul, that's what we know him as. His name is Saul, later he's going to be called Paul, but just to make sure I don't lose anybody, uh, you know, that really is the same guy, just going by, by different ways of addressing his name, but this is Paul. So then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if you found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Wow. Can you picture it for a moment? Here's a man who is so resistant to Christ, so angry that he's an enemy. I mean, he is an enemy. He's already stirred up persecution. He was there when Stephen uh, was killed, and then after that, it just said that, said that he made havoc of the church. Then he entered into homes and dragged people off. I mean, he is on a rampage against the church. Now, it would seem that there in Jerusalem, most of the church has been scattered. So it told us back in chapter 8 that the persecution happened, and it says all of those except the apostles had scattered around the place. So now there's just, you know, in one sense, the work is, is very limited for him, but he's so frustrated and so angry that he goes to the, to, to the high priest and he asks for authority so that he could go into Syria. They can go up into Damascus and, and hunt Christians there, uh, you know, within the Jewish communities. And he gets that. And he begins this long journey down the Damascus road, probably a week-long journey that would take him into this space. But again, you just look at it, this. It says he is still breathing threats there in verse 1 against the disciples of the Lord. That's just one of those, you know, visual places. It's, it's as if not only is he angry, it's, it's almost the breath he's breathing you know, every, with every breath it's taking, he is just at odds. Now, 
we look on this, and maybe for some of us who know the story, think, I think he's under conviction. I, I, think, I think at this moment, like, the Lord's been pushing on his heart, and he is fighting. That is certainly true. But it's worked himself into, boy, the worst enemy of the church. Now, right off the bat, that's a good story. That's a good part of the story. There's, there's such hope in that. I don't know who you look at in our world today and think, okay, that's like, you know, if we made a list of the worst enemies of, of the church today, I mean, what an amazing reality to see God get a hold of one of those. That's what this is. I mean, this man is like enemy number one, and, and yet he's going to get radically converted. He's going to be finding himself just drawn to Christ. There's hope in that for us here tonight to think about that. That said, understand this, he really is at this moment an enemy, and so are you. Maybe you didn't know that. I think I have a sense most of you do, but Jesus made it very, very clear. If you're not with me, you're against me. So before you surrendered to Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus tonight, you actually were an adversary to him. You were his enemy. You were on the side of the world. And, and again, for many of us, especially in our culture, we like to go, no, I wasn't. I mean, I was kind of like, I mean... I was kind of Switzerland. I don't know. I mean, I was kind of in the between. I mean, it really wasn't on anybody's side. I just was on my side. On your side was an adversary against God. You were at war with him, even if you didn't know it. But you were. We find ourselves there, and it's this amazing reality to recognize that, you know, Ephesians would tell us that we were all under the, the you know, just the influence of Satan, that we followed his, you know, kind of marching orders, even though we didn't know it. But we found ourselves his adversary. Paul was, so were you. And sometimes it's a good reminder, just a reminder that's what we were. We were that. By the way, just a little quick note, it's kind of an interesting thing. It tells us that there in verse 2, he asked letters uh, from the high priest to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way. It's not really been called Christianity yet. At this point in time in the Bible, I mean, this, what we call Christianity, and rightly so, we're not, we're not opting to try to change it here this evening, but it's still kind of a fun uh, reality to think, okay, at this moment, it's called, it's the way. I mean, this is, this is the, the, the way to live. This is what Jesus said when he says, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. And so they're like, we're, we're part of the only way. I mean, this is, this is the only way to heaven, and it's still a good description, even though we call it Christianity today, it solidly is the only way. It's the only way to live. It's the only way where where life is found. And and that's what he's standing against. Right now, he's an enemy. But radical things happen. Verse 3, as he journeyed and came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground. And I heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said to him, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? So we watch this space. Paul's an enemy, and so were we. But now he gets to this place where the light of Christ breaks through, where it is that, where, the, where literally for Paul, it's a supernatural experience, where, I mean, he's there, and he lets us know that he's impacted. Light literally shines around him, kind of catching him the, into this. It's not like it happens this way for all of us. 
nevertheless, it's still a good spiritual picture for us, right? I mean, I think about one of the sections that we're going to be at in the next week or two uh, in 2 Corinthians, where it says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. It says, you know, if, if we were here, that's us, and, and, and God has commanded that light to come. So it's a good picture, you know, that, you know, found that the light begins to penetrate. He hears a voice. He hears a voice speaking in the midst of it. We, we're going to find out it's Jesus. At this point, he's beginning to discover. Now, with that, we put together the whole story, and it's kind of interesting if you go and put together all three times that Paul shares his story. We learn that, you know, there are other people with him. They hear noise, but they don't understand it, that this voice is only understood by Paul. Uh, he's the only one that, that is comprehending it, and it's a good part just to recognize it is actually that way in our lives. When God is working in us, it is unique, and it is personal, and he's drawing, and, and he's there. And so Jesus just begins to speak to him. As he just says it there, uh, you know, there in verse 4, he falls to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Always kind of fun little note, just, hey, that's one of those spaces when God repeats uh, you know, someone's name, it's usually uh, an attention getter, and it's usually uh, because they need attention. Like, you know, like, you know, speaking his name once, it wasn't working. It's like repeating the name, usually as a sign that you're being stubborn. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's just a good phrase, just to highlight around it just for a moment, that Jesus looks upon this and he so identifies with his church that he's able to say, if you've touched them, you're touching me. As far as Paul knows, he's not persecuting Jesus. He's persecuting Christians. He's dragging Christians off. And yet Jesus so connects to that. He says, you're persecuting me. You're doing that to me. And it's just a good reality to know that's exactly how God sees you tonight. If you're a follower of him, it's like he says, okay, if you're touching them, that's me. That's, I'm, that's my family. That's, that's my body. And, and he identifies with this in a way that is just radical and wonderful. Paul responds to it with that age-old question, maybe the most central question that all of us ask. Who are you? Like, who are you? <laughs> I mean, that's just what I want to know. You know, is there a God? And, and if he is, what is he? That is actually one of the most resilient questions with inside humanity. One of the most Googled questions, one of the most you know, large places that people are wanting to know, is there a God? You know, and, and who is he? And that's what I want to know. I mean, that question is, is not unique to Paul. It is what we ask. And he's asking that question. God, I want to know, I mean, who are you? Who is this who's speaking to me? And Jesus answers there in verse 5. Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Is it hard for you to kick against the goad? I am Jesus. I don't want to spend a bunch of time on this, but the way that Jesus says it is hugely significant, and it would not have been lost on Paul. He's a student of the Scriptures. He's grown up in this. And I am is actually God's name. Uh, when Moses asks, you know, there when, he, when he's getting, you know, God calling him and, and, and calling him in there, he's like, God, what's your name? I want to go out and tell him. He says, just tell him I am that I am. 
uh, you know, Yahweh, however you want to understand it, but the essence of the word is that, and it's so comprehensive. It's so big. It's so open-ended so that, you know, through the rest of, uh, of the Bible, you'll find that I am, and, and it would be answered. You have Jesus who says, I am the bread of life. I am the way. I am, I mean, it, it's, it's, I am everything. Paul would have understood that Jesus, when he says, I am, and then he says, I'm Jesus. It would have been a connection to both Jesus but him saying, I'm God, him, him knowing that reality and that washing over moment is taking place at this moment when he just says, you know, I am Jesus, you know, like, you know, I'm God and, and this is who I am. And that's that moment. I mean, it, it is Christ that God draws us to. It's that moment of understanding him that brings us into everything. And it's the key issue. I mean, I know that you know this. I know I'm maybe saying the most simple of things, but that's our gospel. Our gospel is Jesus. It is getting people to Christ, that recognizing who he is, just an understanding of, of him being the one that died, rose again, made the way for us, that he's our life. That's that moment. That's where he's drawing him. But this is what Paul has been resisting. This is what Saul's been resisting. So he just asks him that familiar maybe phrase, if, you, if you've read through this in the book of Acts, or even I think we've already talked about it, where he just simply asks him, is it hard? For you to kick against the goats. You probably understand it. I think we may have even talked about it the last, last week or the week before, so I just quickly understand it. What's a goad? Well, a goad is a sharp stick. It is a sharp stick that you would use as a farmer or someone who is taking care of animals, and so maybe you would be trying to have your oxen plow the field, or maybe you'd be pulling a cart, and if you had an ox or a donkey or one of your animals that just was being a little bit stubborn, you know, kind of like you're kind of like, you know, you kind of give them the, you know, click or the sound, like it's like time to start doing it, and they don't do it. You, you know, if they don't respond to the verbal command, well, okay, then you go to the physical one. You kind of pull out this little sharp stick, and you poke them. You know, just give them a little poke and just say, move, you know. And, and for most animals, that's, that's, that's okay, that's the, okay, that, fine, you know. <laughs> I wasn't listening a moment ago, now I'm going to listen. But if you are a particularly stubborn animal, an oxen, instead of responding uh, to the poke, you would kick it. Now, I know this, again, probably makes perfect sense, but that's a really dumb thing to do because kicking the goad doesn't hurt the goad. Uh, it hurts the ox. It hurts the animal. It's just like, you know, you're kicking that and you're fighting, you know, doing everything you can to make that thing stop and you're bloodying your own calf up, you know what I mean? And you're doing there and, and you're just injuring your own self. And it's as if Jesus just speaks to Paul and he just says, that's you. Like, isn't this hurting? Like, how hard is it for you to get, I mean, is it hard for you to do that? I mean, how are you doing this? And we get this window into, again, what's been taking place with, with Paul. Conviction's been happening. The truth has been printing in. The, the truth of Christ has been pressing. But instead of surrendering to what he's already beginning to see, he has been fighting it. He has been fighting it and only wounding himself 
only injuring himself in it. And so again, it's just a compassionate, uh, if not almost a humorous scene where he just, you know, looks there and says, is it hard? <laughs> like, does that hurt? I mean, is it hard for you to be doing that? I mean, don't, just kind of asking, you know, is it hard for you to be doing that? And at that moment, it's, it's a gracious, you know, remark from that, but filled with tenderness. You know, again, maybe for some of you, you'd understand. Maybe that was a part of your story. Maybe you were particularly difficult as God drew you to him. And you'd look back and say, it is hard. Uh, it is a hard space to go through. You know, I'd be remiss if I didn't just even ask, is anybody there now? I mean, are you here tonight? And just to be altogether honest, even as a follower of Jesus, sometimes oh, we like sheep, we can still give them a hard time. And I just want to tell you, there's something about, you know, the, the, the farmer, the one who does this, that... I just want to tell you, he's not going to give up. I mean, he is a gracious, patient, uh, loving Heavenly Father, but he will keep, you know, what he started in our lives, he will keep doing. And so sometimes he puts things into our world that's like, let's go this direction. Like, this is what I have for you. And, 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 and he's loving enough to continue to pursue that in your life. But all that you would do to fight that, it only brings injury to yourself. It only brings injury to yourself. So, again, I just get to stand here and say, you know, that's something probably all of us have known in small measure, but it's one of the spaces that's just good to kind of look at this and say, I'd like to learn how to do that more quickly. Like, I would like to get to be the one that when God disciplines me, I would respond, you know, when it's a verbal discipline. I, or if it gets to the poke, I want to be like, oh, ouch, okay, I'm moving. <laughs> I'm moving. Yes, yes, sir. You know, like, yes, Lord. You know, you know, I just want to get there more quickly. I don't want it to get to the, be the place that, you know, you know, you know, flesh is being torn and my, you know, hanging the lamp and I'm just fighting him with everything I can. It's like, man, it's just, it's going bad for you. And yet that's where Paul is at this moment. He's been fighting hard. And so again, just graciously, if that's you, hear it from him here this evening, be rescued from that and just say, I don't, I don't want to do that because he's that loving. He is not going to give up. He's going to keep pursuing, uh, you know, you're not going to win uh, against the goat, against the, the, the father. And so it's better to surrender more quickly. Good lesson for all of us. Well, at this moment, it comes crashing in on, on Paul. So he says, so he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's an amazing moment. We get to watch in this space a surrender to Christ, and as we're kind of gazing at this moment, I just want you to kind of gaze into it for a moment and just understand, hey, this is that moment where between verse 5 and 6, he's born again. He's saved. I mean, uh, salvation is an instantaneous place. It's a place of, you know, believe upon Jesus and you'll be saved, and it's a glorious you know, moment of transaction, and it just seems like this moment he crosses from the place of, who are you, Lord, to, Lord, <laughs> what do I do now? You know, what do you want me to do? Like, it's not a questioning him, it's acknowledging and a surrender. You're the Lord, and now what do I do about that? <laughs> like, what does that look like now? Like, where do we go now? Where is this going gonna, gonna, to gonna go from this moment? And it's a glorious, good space for that. Well, for Paul, he gets an immediate uh, answer that is an answer that God often gives us, that he'll continue to show us. So he asks him there in verse 6, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise, 
Go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. And Saul arose from the ground. When his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. He was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Lord, what do you want me to do? Like, what do I do? Where do I go with this? And he just says, it's going to be showed to you. I mean, that, that, that answer will come. It's a good little answer, by the way. It's a good reminder that so often that is God's answer to us. Like, you know what? Just, I'll show you. <laughs> One moment at a time, you just kind of take the next steps. You know, here's what you're going to need to do next. And he gives it to him. So you get the scene, right? I mean, that's what Paul hears. And he's just humbled. He can't see. Uh, he's blind, literally, at this moment. He's instructed to go to Damascus, and so here this moment, you almost just have to imagine, I mean, he's turning to his companions that are there, and they literally have to lead him, you know, into the city. I mean, he can't see anything. He's not used to dealing with blindness. He goes into that city, and he just sits there astonished, and for three days, three days, God lets him to stay in this space, and and Paul does nothing else. He doesn't eat. He doesn't do anything else, but probably just sit there and think. In fact, we know what he's doing, actually, because he's going to say he's praying. Uh, And God's going to tell Ananias in a moment, this is what he's doing. And so for three days, and it's just this fascinating kind of place of just looking at, I wonder what's going on. You know, all these places that he's been fighting God, things are slipping into place. I mean, understanding of who Jesus is, how that works, probably for him, again, being what he has just in his background with the Old Testament, it's all sliding into place. And he's like, oh, oh, yeah, oh. <laughs> it was this amazing moment. But just gazing into it again, it's, it's kind of a holy moment. It's an amazing place of just watching that happen. And it's not the way God always does this. This isn't like a one-size-fits-all where some of you, yep, I had to wait three days too. You know, it's, yeah, that's exactly what happened to me. No, God does this differently. But it is a space where he brings us to surrender. This place where, you know, we are, you know, surrendering to the truth, surrendering to Christ, where that space of saying, Lord, what is it you want me to do? That's permeating his heart into this moment. That's a a space that that brings him into that place. And, And it's a glorious space. It's a glorious space to find your life there. Again, if that's here this, morning, this evening and you're not in that and maybe he's doing even that and drawing you, you're online, I'm just inviting you to that place that if he's doing all of this to draw you to that, that even tonight it would be a space of saying, okay, God, I want to I come to that place where that's what you would have for me. That's where he is. Again, for some of us, most of us here tonight, that has taken place in your life at one way or another. And yet it would be, again, worth just noting sometimes. It's a good reminder that that's how this began, and that's what continues to need to happen. It would seem to make sense that, you know, coming to discover who God is, that we would grow into, just that this would become a louder and, and, and more pervasive reality, and yet sometimes uh, it's a weird thing uh, that happens, that as Christians we can begin, you know, early on, like, yes, Lord, <laughs> Yes, I'm in. Like, what you tell me, you know, you say jump and I say how high. You know, you say move, I say yes, sir, you know. And it's a good and glorious space to be, but sometimes in growth in Christ, we can become a little bit more stubborn. We can become ourselves moving back into that place. And so sometimes it's just a good reminder to say, 
you know, that's where, that's where life was found. That moment where I came and said, God, I am, I am tired of fighting you. I am tired of resisting you. I am tired of the pain and agony that comes when I do my own thing. And I just want to, I just want to turn that all around. And, and then to remember, yeah, that, that was good. Like, why, how did I move from that? How did I move from that, sometimes what's called that first love relationship with Christ, that space where it's like, yes, like, Lord, I'm in. Like, I'm all in. Like, let's go. Like, yes. And, and, and that reminder that that's what this thing is, because that's a beautiful space to be, to, to come to that place where we acknowledge God, where we trust Him, and, and say, God, yes, I'm in. Like, let's, I, I want to say yes to you and your ways. It's where, where, where he is at this moment, and it's a great and glorious space to be. And yet there at this moment, a few other things quickly happen that, again, are just worth our noting. Paul's there, and so it tells us in verse 10, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and, 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 said to, and, and, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am. The Lord said to him, Arise. And go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Now, this is just a fun place. I mean, now we get to meet this other man. And, and if we were just to kind of focus on his story from his perspective, it would be an amazing one. I mean, here's this guy, Ananias. I mean, so the church is thriving there in Damascus. Obviously, people are getting saved, saved there. And, and he's a follower of, of Jesus. And the Lord comes to him, gives him this instruction. And now Ananias gets to struggle uh, with saying yes to God. And so he responds. He says in verse 13, Lord... I've heard about this man. Like, I know who you're talking about. Like, we've heard about Saul, you know, and, and how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on his name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So it's a great story. I mean, just kind of catching, you know, Ananias at this moment and his kind of reluctance and even understanding, like, he's like, Lord, are you sure? And, and yet God gives him, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. In fact, not only I mean, I've shown Paul what to do, I'm telling you how he's going to be found. And so there's a great place of watching God just supernaturally guide Ananias in this. But let's just come back to it and just see this for a moment from a bigger perspective. So here is Saul, who is an enemy, who's had the light of Christ fall, and now he's surrendering to him. And now God brings him into a pivotal moment. And really that pivotal moment is to find that connection to the body of Christ, to find that connection into the family. And so God has so supernaturally done this so that he actually has to have that connection. That for him even to kind of take that next step, you know, Ananias has to come and pray for him. And I has to come, uh, come and, and to pray for him into the midst of that. And so that's what he's doing. In fact, again, it's just great. I love just quickly noting it. We noted it a moment ago. He tells him what exactly to do. He says, you know, he's there in verse 11. He says, arise and go to that street called Straight. Inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. That's an actual statement of what Saul was doing at this moment, but there's probably great profound realities uh, that he's actually connecting with me. Like he has a relationship with me and, and he and I are talking, he is doing all of this and now you need to go and, and, and do that. So he does. 
Go down to verse 17. Ananias went his way. He entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, and it's worth just noting, brother Saul. I mean, he just comes and says, you're my brother. You're, 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 you're now my brother. You're now my brother. And, and he says, you're, you're, you know, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me to you that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he received his sight as once. He rose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. So incredible account. You know, he comes, he prays for him. I mean, then supernaturally he's healed, actually has these scales fall from his eyes. I mean, he believes, he gets baptized, declaring his faith in baptism, which baptism is that picture that we see all the way through Scripture. But then there's a connection. I mean, you just kind of feel this whole place. It's that little section ends which just saying, hey, he spent days with them. He spent days with him. And this is just such a radical thing. Three days before this, this was the people he was destroying, and now he's connecting with them. Three days before, he was entering into homes, dragging these people away into prison, and now they have embraced him and said, hey, you're, you're family now. Hey, you're, you're now part of that. That's a key reality. It's a key reality for all of us, that if you're a follower of Jesus, then he has brought you into this. There is no way for someone to be right with God and not be connecting with God's people. In fact, 1 John kind of tells us that. You know, some of you were there when we covered it, where he talks about, hey, if someone says, hey, I love God, I just, I don't like his church. I don't like his people. Not possible. Can't happen. You know, he, you know, we are a part of the body of Christ. And so I wonder how this happened in you. I wonder how this happened in your life, that as you came to know Jesus, something happened where all of a sudden you found yourself part of a spiritual family. It's like, I have, I have family. Like, it's crazy. This is really, really cool, though, and, and it's a really, really important part of my journey and a part of that place. And so God arranges all of this into that space to remind him, hey, this is where you are. This is what God has done in your life, and it certainly is true for him. It is true for us. Well, immediately Paul responds. Verse 20, immediately he preached uh, the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who, were, who heard were amazed and said, um, is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem? And he's come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength. He confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. So Paul steps into this moment. He is fully confessing Christ. I mean, he is preaching Christ. That's, I just love the way it says it. Immediately, he began preaching Christ. That's a good picture, and it's certainly solid for who he is, but make no mistake, again, there's something here that happens for every true follower of Jesus. Jesus said it this way. He says, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. There is an absolute space of and all of our lives bring us to that place where we confess him publicly, where we declare to people, hey, I believe in Jesus, and, and, and I believe in God. It's impossible for someone just to be saved and not come to that place 
where, where, they, where they would acknowledge Christ publicly and they would acknowledge him in their lives. That has to happen in our lives. It happens in, in Paul's life and he does so immediately, which is going to be just kind of picturesque of his boldness and things that are happening through everything that's taking place there. But as we're kind of just quickly overviewing the story, that immediately brings him into trouble. Verse 23, now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates uh, day and night to kill him. And the disciples took him by night and let him down through a wall in the large basket. Then Saul, when he had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was the disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road. And that he'd spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. So we noticed a couple things in in this last little section that we'll kind of just spend our time in this evening. So now he has become persecuted. I mean, you just kind of kind of see that, and it's just filled with that irony. The persecutor has now become the persecuted. The one who was dragging them off, well, both there in Damascus and then in Jerusalem, he finds himself on the other side of this. He finds himself in that space where those who you know, we're, we're against it, are now against him. And that's a space that happens in our lives as well. Make no mistake, hey, to be a follower of Jesus is to put, put ourselves on the opposite side of things, to a place where the world is now our adversary, where Satan is now our adversary. It's impossible for anybody to be a follower of Jesus. And again, that not be the reality that now finds ourselves there, that now we find ourselves, you know, now a target and, and, and now at odds with that. And it's a tough place for Paul. Hey, had we lots of time, we'd explore some of the things, but I just quickly highlight it. So he's there in Damascus. It goes bad for him. You know, it goes bad for him there, so much so that they begin, they have an attempt uh, to seek to kill him. And, And so it tells us, you know, there in verse 25, the disciples took him by night and led him down through a wall in a large basket. So he escapes persecution, but there's something here. In fact, we'll talk about it more in 2 Corinthians when we get to it in chapter 11. But Paul finds this to be a humiliating moment. Uh, he's going to talk about it when, in his own weakness. And he begins to talk about uh, you know, many of the things that find him in weakness. He will highlight this as one of them, just making sure we understand that this is no brave, bold moment. This is him running for his life. Uh, this is hiding in a basket. And, and somehow for Paul, this was something he doesn't look back on with uh, acknowledgement of honor or even, hey, like, that was a good choice. He's like, this is just kind of embarrassing. Like, this is, this is my weakness, you know, on display at this moment. He gets there to Jerusalem. And they know about him. It's like, oh, we, we, don't, we don't trust him. I mean, maybe thinking he's trying to, you know, weed his way in to become a, you know, and infiltrate the, the apostles and get there. But Barnabas steps in. We've already met Barnabas. He's this man, the son of encouragement by his name. He lives up to that title. He obviously takes Paul and hears his story and, and finds it to be valid and validates him before the apostles. 
So again, verse 27, Barnabas took him and declared to the apostles, and he declared how he'd seen the Lord on the road, and he'd spoken to him, and how he'd preached boldly in Damascus in the name of Jesus. So then Paul finds himself connecting with the church there in Jerusalem, which is this incredible reality, which will play more into Paul's story, because Paul and Barnabas are going to become such a huge space. But this is the beginning of it. This is the beginning of it, but it's happening in a place that has brought kind of an adversarial relationship that Paul now finds himself into it. It is part of what God does for us. I mean, I find myself thinking of the Beatitudes and just their, their picture of the Christian life, and it begins with that place of coming to an end of ourselves, recognizing, hey, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. But if you understand the Beatitudes, you get to the last one, kind of that growth in Christ. It's like, blessed are those who are persecuted for Jesus' sake. Like, that's what we get. And yet it's a glorious space that this is turned around for Paul, and yet no surprise that we're draw, drawn into the same space. At the same moment, there's growth that's happening there, and that's maybe a weird way to kind of just term it, but I want to just make sure that I highlight something that you may or may not you know, be noticing in the midst of it, is that though we just read this in moments, this is not moments. Actually, this is a large section of time. So if we put together the story from the rest of what we know from the book of Acts and then also from where Paul gives us some of his testimony in Galatians, we would know there, we go back to verse 23, where he says, after many days were passed, that that actually was a lot of days. Uh, Galatians will tell us it was three years. Uh, So he's there in Damascus. He'll actually leave for a little while, go to Arabia, make his way back uh, to Damascus and begin to proclaim that. So we give it to us this way where Paul says, you know, I went to Arabia, I returned again to Damascus, and then after three years, I I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. So again, we get that, you know, we just read it in moments, but hey, this wasn't moments. I mean, there's this space that uh, Paul goes into Arabia, and there in Galatians, he lets us know that it was a time that God was unpacking the gospel for him. Uh, really helping him to become one that understood the nature of the glorious gospel that will go on to say in Galatians, hey, I didn't get this from men. Hey, it, this wasn't something that I got from my training. I mean, this is God opening up to me the gospel. And, and so for three years, you know, he's in that, sp- that process. So again, you, you read it in moments. It could almost sound like, hey, this happened really, really quickly, but it didn't. In fact, then we know he's going to be sent down to Tarsus. So we get to the end of the section that we're covering tonight. And, and, you know, we we see it there that they found out that Paul was again under kind of an arrest warrant or they're going to attempt to kill him. And so they brought him down to Caesarea and they send him out to Tarsus, which was his hometown uh, where he had grown up. But now he's going to go back to that. And the best that we understand it, that's probably a space that he's going to spend at least four, maybe up to seven years, some Bible students will understand so that when you kind of calculate all of this, again, by the time we find Paul again, which will be in chapter 11 of Acts, boy, we're, we're somewhere between seven and ten years uh, of that growth. I just find that helpful. I find that helpful in part because sometimes, again, we could read this so quickly and it seems like it's so instant, but it's a good reminder that's not the way it works. If you were with us Sunday, uh, we were talking about it. There, that passage in 2 Corinthians where it tells us, but we all with unveiled face are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And I highlighted then, and I'll remind you now, like this is how it happens. 
The growth that God does in our life is from one degree of glory to another. It's one step at a time. Now, again, I want to just quickly highlight a couple quick things about that. Um, there is no instant Christian. There is no like, hey, you know, you, you, you believe on Jesus and you can be a super Christian, you know, by, the, by next weekend. No, there is a process of that. And, and the growth is always a process. If you're trying to, you know, not be a part of that process, uh, you, you, you're, you're foolish to understand it. But also don't misunderstand. That process can go slow or fast depending on your responsiveness. The reality is there are people that come to Christ like Paul. I mean, and honestly, if it's seven years, if it's somewhere in the midst of it, he's going to go from enemy to, you know, one of the, the you know, foremost, you know, authorities and, and, and just gospel representatives, you know, in a matter of a short period of time. I mean, he's going to go kind of, kind of just high growth, you know, in, in the midst of that. And I love watching that happen. Sometimes people come to Christ and boy, there's just quick growth. Then other times. Not looking at anybody important. I'm not, I'm not looking at you like I'm saying. There are other times that there are some people it's like three decades, four decades later. It's like, man, I still think I've only like, you know, it's like I, I do a little bit, then I fight, kick against the goads again, and then he has to take me. And, then, and, and slowly growth happens, and yet there's a good space of just understanding and, and saying, okay, got him in. Like I, I want to be a part of that process and know it's a process. I don't know how helpful that is, but I find myself just wanting to say, hey, that is good to know. It's good to know that you're not the only one. Because again, if you're not reading it that way, you'll read here in Acts and you'll be like, I'm so difficult. It's taking, you know, it takes a long time for me to finally get where God has me. It takes Paul seven to 10 years uh, of brokenness and, and, and places where he is, you know, when he talks about that being let down out of the basket, it was not a highlight moment for him. Somehow, in the midst of his life, it was embarrassing. It was humiliating. It's his own smallness when he says, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. Uh, that's the first thing on his list. Is like, I'm going to tell you about a story that was, I mean, me at the height of my foolishness. Somehow, these are the stories that, uh, that God is bringing him through. And God does that for you and I. But there is a space of just longing that God would do that, that just saying, okay, I want to be a part of that process, so that as we're thinking through this entire account of what God does, that we'd say, okay, God, I want to be in that, because we are in that. I mean, if we're followers of Jesus, this is what he's doing, and there's a space of just seeing it, but also understanding the process. I don't know if that makes the sense that I want to make it. Uh, let me add one other quick nugget, because there's a bunch of cool nuggets that, that surround this, so there is no instant Christian you know, it's in that process of being transformed from glory to glory, that God would do that in our lives, that God did that in Paul's life, that he would invite us, you know, into the space uh, of being transformed. It's also good for us just to understand this about others. I just, I've had this on my heart since Sunday, and, and so it kind of feels like something that I'm supposed to share here tonight, and so I feel like it's for, probably for somebody. And, and so if it's for you, you don't have to tell me, but I'm just going to encourage you to hear just for a second. Hey, sometimes the interesting thing is the growth that God has taken you through that has taken you a long time to get where you are and where you are still has a lot of growth. Sometimes we become very impatient for other people to grow. No, I'm not speaking to all of us in the same way, but I don't know about you. I mean, I, I have been a follow, I've, I've followed Jesus for decades now. 
And, and sometimes, you know, as I think about what that looks like and in spaces where I am, sometimes I get frustrated that people aren't where I am even though they just have started. Even though, honestly, God has been so patient with me. Like, he's been like, I'm gonna change you from one degree of glory to another. And it's like, you're over here. I'm gonna get you over here. And, and that just doesn't happen in moments. I mean, there's just growth that happens in Christ where he does that. But again, if you're like me, it can take me, you know, decades to get where I, where I am. But then I want everybody to be where I am now. I mean, it's like, hey, I want you to be, instead of saying, God, you've been so faithful. You've been so faithful to do this, to do this work of transformation. I want to just look for that in other people's lives as well because I want to believe that you're doing this. I, I love this reality that he does this, but I recognize, again, as we think this through, hey, this, is, this doesn't happen in a weekend. I mean, that moment of conversion does. But getting to that growth in Christ that takes through all of that, it becomes a process, but that's exactly what God is doing in Paul. It's a fun story. I mean, it's a really fun story. Again, there, there's, there's unique spaces that God put Paul through, as there are unique parts of your testimony if you're a follower of Jesus. Nevertheless, I just would honestly say, I think, as we think through the highlights of Paul's story, they really are the highlights of your story as well. You were an enemy, and somehow the light dawned. Somehow God turned on the light, so you figured out, hey, who, God, who are you? <laughs> God, what are you? And you figured out it was Christ. And somehow you believed upon him. You surrendered your life to him. And that is a good and glorious space where he draws us to that, that surrender. And, and immediately out of that flows some things, both connection to God that we're praying, connection to his people, we become a part of his family, places where we begin to confess Christ and have to confess him. And that is a good and glorious space in our life. And yet from there, it takes us down a road that makes us in opposition to the world, but growth in Christ. And somehow just to see that and understand, hey, that's our story. That is our story that he's seeking to work in our life. And I don't know where you are in that. I don't know where that lands for you again this evening. Maybe again, I just want to make sure if that's you this evening that this has not happened yet, but you feel it. I invite you to surrender to Christ and that this would become a part of your life. But for most of us, it is. And sometimes we just lose sight of it. Sometimes we forget our story. We forget what we were. We forget how it, what, what it's taken to get us here. We forget the incredible riches that became ours at the moment, part of the body of Christ. And, and yet, in that place that we find ourselves outside of this world, now at enemies of this world, it's like, oh yeah, that, that, is what I, that is what happened. That is where I am. This is good for me to remember the things that define my existence. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, nothing has ever happened as glorious as that moment that you became born again. There is nothing that has ever come close to its power and wonder, to that moment when Christ made you brand new, when darkness fell away and you became light. That is one of the, that's the incredible space that for all eternity you'll look back and say, I was dead and he made me alive. I was an enemy and he made me family. I was against him, and, and now he brought me into his side. And, and to see that reality becomes both helpful and defining, and I just long that it would be. 
So with that in mind, we'll close there. We'll stop. We'll finish up the chapter next time. But again, just seeing Paul's story, encouraging it wherever it would meet you in your story. Let's ask him for help in that right now. God, thank you that you are a God who is at work in lives. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for being born again, for rescuing us who were enemies and making us family, rescuing us who were against you and bringing us to be for you and now the world against us. God, thank you for growing us, changing us, for your patient, just growth that brings us through these processes. God, thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for even goading us at times, poking and drawing us to keep us moving forward. Help us not to fight. Help us to be in process. Help us to say yes, to come back to that simple statement that was really the beginning of the whole thing. The words were different for us than maybe they were for, for Paul, but they were in so many ways the same reality. God, you're the God. You're the Lord. What do you want me to do? I surrender. I surrender to you, who you are, and I want to say yes. Help us to do that even now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're able to stand as we end in worship tonight.